This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and Global Discipleship Initiative hosted a track called The Power of Microgroups to Transform and Multiply Disciples. Greg Ogden facilitated this track for their team, and he has provided a quick one-page summary of how they advise people to do these microgroups. They spell it all out in just one page, and that one-page PDF is available for download for free through discipleship.org. So go online and download their free PDF on how to do microgroups at discipleship.org global. That's discipleship.org global. Now here's the track session for Global Discipleship Initiative. So about six, seven years ago, uh, I got a call from actually Ralph's administrative assistant. And uh, he said, they said, well, you know, we've come across your material. Could you come to our church and uh, do a brief workshop for our staff and a few other, uh, others there? So that was our initial connection back in 2010. And uh, further things developed uh, with that. But Ralph will tell you the story this morning of uh, the transformation of the Camarillo Community Church in terms of what happened with the discipleship process there. Uh, as you, you can tell from the title of this workshop, our focus is on what we call microgroups. Uh, it's fairly recent language that we've been using, groups of three or four, as the uh, focus of a way to make reproducing disciples. So uh, today's session, you can see, is going to be focused on uh, the Camarillo Community Church and the process they went through in terms of their, their change and uh, so you get to see kind of a model, a picture of what can be uh, in a congregation if you apply uh, this process of reproducing disciples and, and watch it you know, flow organically throughout the life of a congregation and how that becomes then the identity of a congregation to be a reproducing, disciple-making church. So it's one thing to have sort of a little eddy of disciple-making groups that are a part of, of one of the many things that a church does. Uh, to have it actually take over the life of a congregation, and that's the picture you're going to see. So um, I think without further ado, uh, I'll, let me introduce my partner, Ralph Rittenhouse. You can see you have the materials uh, for our new organization called Global Discipleship Initiative. We've been in existence about 18 months, I think, officially uh, at this point in time. Uh, we have some international strategy where we're working with Nepal and Romania as two countries where we actually have an in-house leadership team, in-country leadership team that is proliferating uh, these discipleship quads uh, throughout the country, uh, rooted in churches, of course. But uh, So it's been exciting to see that occur, working our national strategy to be able to resource churches in the same, same way. And so you have ways to get a hold of us, and you can see our website if you want to take a look at the resources we have to offer uh, through that. Um, I'm going to ask Chad if you would pass around this clipboard uh, that we have. It's already going around. Uh, if you would like to have us uh, be on, on our uh, email list, uh, we'd love to have you on that so we can uh, contact you. And uh, please check out our website for the resources we offer. We do one-day workshops, two-day workshops, five-day workshops. Um, those kinds of things that are available uh, for training. I'd uh, love to come alongside you and be able to be of whatever help we can. Uh, so feel free to contact us or have conversations with us here. So, Ralph, um, come and share with us the, the story of um, what you saw transpire at Camarillo to Community Church. Thank you, Greg. 
Welcome, everybody. I'm glad that you're here. Um, I was appalled that when I read the brochure about this event that Greg wasn't on it because they didn't, they knew about him, they had read his work, but for whatever reason, uh, he wasn't, hadn't been invited to be a part, so we got on the ball right away and said, hey, you got to get Greg here, this is important. Uh, so Greg is here, and the reason I say that is because everything I read uh, about discipleship, and that's a, that's a broad statement and it's not totally accurate, but it seems like everything I read tells you you should have it. And every pastor I know, if you ask them, uh, are, you, are you in favor of discipleship? You know, what pastor would say no? I mean, the last thing Jesus told us was to go and make disciples. I mean, you graduate from the seminary of the first century. After three and a half years, you got a degree not in preaching, not in missions, or not in youth work. or work. You got a degree in discipleship. And that's all he told them to do, go and make disciples. He never said go make church, build churches. But I had mistranslated the Great Commission, and I went out and built a church. My dad was a pastor, and that's what he did. That's what all the pastors I knew did. They went out and built churches. I have a little model up here on the board up here that I that was sharing with Greg yesterday. It's a, I call it the cultural trap that imprisons pastors. And I had been in prison. I was in prison. Uh, I was doing it the way the American church does it and the way the American church calls success. It's the same thing the NFL calls success. You know, you got to have lots of seats. You got to have a lot of people in the seats. Got to have a lot of money coming in. You got to have a good show on the field. Your success, and that's what we did. We built a church in Camarillo, and we had lots of people. We had big buildings. We had all the programs, and we weren't making disciples. And I, had, I finally, after 25 years there, uh, finally came to the conclusion that we've got to do something different. We've got to change something. It's, this is not working. It wasn't working anywhere. None of my pastor friends could tell me it was working. I mean, they, they were seeing the same thing I was. I mean, the church is going backwards in America. We got less churches every year. We close 3,000 churches every year in America. Why is that? I, my, you know, I sent one of my colleagues to Indonesia. You know, he left my staff and went to Indonesia, took his young family there. And, you know, after about 12 years, he's reporting back. He's got thousands of groups going. In Indonesia, I mean, that's where they take machetes, and you know, you don't build churches there. You can't build churches there. You just make disciples, and they were making disciples like crazy. And I hear those kinds of stories in other parts of the world. I'm saying, why have we missed it? What were they doing that we're not doing? And I was on an airplane coming back from uh, somewhere. I don't know. I was reading John Ortberg's article in Leadership Journal on discipleship. And he mentions Greg Ogden. Uh, the name was somewhat familiar, but I didn't know him. And so when I got down, I got off the plane, I Googled Greg Ogden, and I found a book called Transforming Discipleship. I ordered a copy. I started reading it. I said, this is good stuff. I ordered three more copies, gave one to Bev, gave one to Daryl, gave one to Jim. They were my, on my staff. And uh, I said, read this, and in a week we'll get back together and talk about it. So we did. We sat down and talked, and we said, we're going to try an experiment. We won't tell anybody we're doing this because we've done enough programs, you know. We won't announce anything. We'll just do it. I'll get a group, you get a group, you get a group. I mean, a group was what Greg was encouraging is a, you know, micro group, a quad of gender-specific girls with girls, guys with guys kind of thing for reasons we can talk about later, but, uh, and you can probably guess. But <clears throat> uh, So we said, okay, we'll try it. I got, four, I got three guys. Jim got three guys. Daryl got three guys. Uh, Bev got three girls, 
And we began our groups. And the four of us met together every week just to compare notes, what's happening in your group. We wanted to see whether this is going to work or not. We started using the curriculum, which I'll show you if you haven't seen it. You probably have, but... Is, is, is this what you're looking for? You can use your well-used one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have dots that represent my groups, but <laughs> that's the book. Uh, and those are the dots in Camarillo, and these are the dots at the new place I'm, I am. Uh, but this was, a, I mean, it's, it's 25 lessons. Uh, it's Bible College 101, you know, Christianity 101. I mean, it's, it's what you, I mean, it's all the basic stuff is here. Everything a believer should know and understand. And it was presented well. I got, I got the, after reading the book, I got the workbook, and I, I read through it. And it, it, this, this is good stuff. It's well presented. It's well done. Let's try it. So I started my group. Uh, all the rest of us started our groups. Um, Excuse me, Ralph. Yeah. Is, uh, the material you were just pointing to, is that from the book Transforming? Transforming Discipleship is more of the story of how it came to be. That's where, where uh, uh, Greg shares how it came about. But then the workbook is what, a, what you go through and use in your group. So the, the, the first book is, was a thing that introduced us to the whole concept. Um, and yeah, so Transforming Discipleship, you might say, is a textbook. Um, three parts. Uh, the need for disciple-making today, looking at this, those symptoms of state of discipleship and the causes for that. Second section is on Jesus and Paul's model, how they went about making disciples. And the third section is, okay, how do we take that model and apply it in the context of a living church situation and live out Jesus' model of disciple-making? And so it gives, gives the kind of a lot of the practicalities and how-tos in the third section. So if you want to just forget the whole first six chapters, you can, you know, you can do that and just go straight for the this is how you do it kind of stuff. And then the curriculum is the implementation tool uh, to, for actually what to use in a group. So if you're a professor in a college, you use the textbook just to help your students understand how it all comes together. But then what, when you're going to apply it in your church, get the workbooks. Is the workbook Discipleship Essentials? Discipleship Essentials, yes. Discipleship Essentials. Fourteen languages now, uh, so it's available all over. And, um, but <clears throat> that's Camarillo Community Church. That's where we were making our disciples. Um, we had been using the traditional church model. That's all we knew. Um, and uh, we did an internal assessment, realized we've we got to do something different, so we, ha we started our stealth start. Didn't tell anybody, we just started doing discipleship um, and watched it grow. Uh, we, we know, we, I, I don't think we were probably a month, two months in when we realized something was happening, something significant. Um, we're two or three gathered in my name there. I'm gonna, he kept showing up. You know, our groups would get together and something special was happening. You know, with my my four guys, uh, we were changing. I, I was changing. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 25 years. Uh, I'm 27 years by that. I'm I'm changing. I'm I'm memorizing scripture again. You know, and it wasn't just one verse. Many most of the time, it was several verses, which makes me have to meditate on scripture all week long. You know, wow, what will that do to you? And besides, I'm doing the homework, and everybody's doing their homework, and then we're coming together. And there's no leader in the group. I'm not the leader. Uh, the Holy Spirit's the leader. 
He's the teacher. I just say, what'd you get for a question for? What'd you get for a question for? What'd you get for a question? You could say that, you're the leader, you know? <laughs> so that's the way this, and then I'd pass leadership around. I said, okay, next, next week you, you lead. Ray, you lead the next week, you know? Um, and so leadership is passed around in the group. And we're growing, and God is doing something. We're being honest, we're being open, we're being transparent, we're letting the Holy Spirit begin to work in our lives, and we're applying what we're learning, and we're holding each other accountable for that. Um, all of a sudden, there's a bond growing in the group. Now, I knew the guys that were in my group, but I didn't know them like I was knowing them now. I, 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 we, we got really close, and all the other groups experienced the same thing. At the end of the first year, uh, because you make a commitment when you sign up for the group. When I get done, I'll go find three other guys and we'll do it again. So there's a multiplication component built in. And some people ask questions as how does that work? Can you really make them do it? They did it. It, it leads, it so pointed that direction that they just expected to do it. And by the time you get to the end, they've already got their three guys. In fact, I just, I, I, 25 chapters, I just finished chapter 17 with one of the groups I'm in right now. And one of the guys has already got his group going. He didn't wait. And if they're mature believers, I say, that's great. Let them go. You know, I mean, I, he's still in our group, but he's already got his other, he's got a second group going. Um, many will do that uh, if they're mature believers. Uh, I began to target, I targeted specifically mature believers because I want to see this multiply fast. Uh, one of my guys, Daryl, he targets, he's, he's the evangelist. So he targets new believers. Well, it takes about two years to go through, and then they have to go through it again, you know, <laughs> because it's a little, it's, 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 it's college-level stuff. Um, and a brand-new believer, it takes a while for but And the point is not information, it's transformation. Until it's sinking into their lives, you don't go on. You, you go at the rate that people can absorb it. Uh, it's not a program, and that's the problem with most of the material that we, we use and the most time that we use. In fact, people will do that with, with Greg's material. <laughs> and people come up and say, what a guy come up at our last conference and said, oh, we used that last year, every Thursday night, we taught everybody. And it, 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 they just put everybody together in a class and, and taught the material. Well, it's great material, and you got a lot of information, but you don't have a clue whether anybody absorbed anything. It's like me preaching on Sunday, and I did that for 25 years, <laughs> you know. Great sermon pastor. What does that mean? You know, I, don't, I didn't know whether they learned anything or not. Most of them didn't, I know, because we'd ask them later, and they, you know. I mean, they couldn't remember on Monday what I preached, and by Wednesday, I couldn't remember what I preached, you know, because <laughs> you know? I'm on the next one, you know. I mean, so um, it just does not transform. And that was a, that was a shock to me as a pastor. Uh, that was hard for me. Uh, to recognize that people just weren't, it wasn't sinking in like I thought it should be. Um, and boy, I, I did what everybody, you know, I worked hard on my messages. I put 20 hours in in preparation, and I was delivering the best stuff I could throw out there. But it wasn't, it just was not making the dip. This thing was, this was transforming lives, and the people were being transformed. And at the end, my, four, my three guys went out and got groups. And I had one guy, he just came back from Mozambique, yes, two, two weeks ago, Week one week ago, where he was teaching this in Mozambique, he was my first group. Now he's teaching this stuff. Um, but he his first quad that he put together was military guys. He was from military background. He had some navigator training before that, but he military background. Point Magoo's right there. So he got some guys. Squadron commander from Point Magoo was one of the guys in his group. He gets transferred immediately after the group's done, and so he gets goes to the Pentagon. And we had a quad in the Pentagon within a year. 
I mean, we saw this thing beginning to, uh, it was going everywhere. Uh, had a guy call me on the phone and he says, I got a guy who wants to be in my group. He's not from our church. Is it okay if I let him in? <laughs> I, I, okay, where's he from? Well, he's from the Lutheran church. Oh, okay, well, let him in. Sure, let him in. He wants to be in, let him in. So uh, two weeks later, I get a call from Jim uh, Johnson from the Lutheran church. He's a pastor at the Lutheran church. He says, hey, understand you got one of my guys in one of your discipleship groups. Would you guys come over and teach us how to do those? And so we taught the Lutheran Church how to do it. Then we taught the Calvary Chapel how to do it. Then we taught the other Baptist church in town how to do it. Then we, taught, you know, and it, we had a, we had seven churches in town, you know, after about four years, five years, that were doing this stuff because of our people, and we weren't promoting this. It was just the people to people to people. We watched it grow organically. We never used any kind of promotion, at all. Uh, I, I was telling Ray, it was two and a half years before I said anything from up front about this going on. Because you can't invite anybody in, you know, your group's full. What do you do? You, it's not, you don't join a group when it's already going. Uh, so, and these things were multiplying. But after the first year, four groups became 16 groups, 16 groups became, became 60 groups, 60 groups became 120 groups. This thing just every year was multiplying out. And before long, it had taken over our church. Now, Ray asked me, what happened to your small groups? You know, what, what, what about all the other groups in there? Well, there's still a place for small groups. Sometimes people will be in both. Many times people were in both. But many times, also, people gave up their small group and they, they, they just locked in on, this, on the, the micro group because that's where real life change was taking place. Um, and once you become a discipler, although we only ask you to commit to do another group, once they've done another group, they don't stop. They just keep doing groups. So it, they just bec that becomes a lifestyle, which is what we really want. We want the lifestyle. Well, we saw these things begin to multiply, and then, then one, uh, I was in Panera Bread with my quad, and in walked um, uh, Debbie Marshall. Debbie Marshall is a, was a uh, she's our missionary to Romania. I mean, she she had a children she had a camp in the summertime for orphans. Because she and her husband went over and adopted, and then their heart was, you know, and so they, they set up an orphanage, I mean, a camp over there for orphans, and they've been doing this every summer. And every summer, we would send people over to work in her camps for her orphanage, and, we, and we'd support her. Well, Debbie walks into Panera Bread. She wants to thank me for our church's, you know, involvement in her ministry and stuff like that. And, but uh, she's talking with us, and one of my guys says, oh, Debbie, you need to do this in Romania. Do what? Well, this discipleship stuff. What discipleships? She sits down. We talk. Before we're done, we've come up with a three-pronged strategy. Here's what we're going to do. We'll get this stuff translated into Romanian. Then we'll get some pastors. She knew lots of pastors. She'd been there 20 years. So she knew pastors in Romania. We'll get some pastors. We'll bring them over to our church. We'll get Dr. Greg to come down, help teach us, to teach them, and we'll send them back to Romania to see if it works in Romania. If it works in Romania and they get some you know, traction going in their churches, maybe they'll invite us over and we'll go over and teach it in Romania to, to other pastors over there. And we thought, okay, this will be really cool because Romania is about... You know, 25 years, you know, from communism, and they don't have anything. It's a very economically challenged uh, country, and uh, you know, they—if you had a Bible, you're doing well. So having Christian materials like this would be, you know, this is really this should take off over there. We thought, and so that was our strategy. Uh, the next day, I tell Bev Garcia, who was who had started our women's group, and she was my personal assistant. She, I said, Bev, you know, call Ivy Press, find out if you know how we get this translated. She calls them on the phone, and they say. Sorry, you're late. Too late. Somebody translated it last year into Romanian. Really? Who, who did that? Well, they gave us the name of some tr 
publishing house in Romania. We call him on the phone in Tenu over in Romania. Sigishwar? Where is he? Timishwar. Timishwar. Timishwar over there. Um, Tenu and his buddy had translated the stuff and published it in Romanian. We said, well, why did you do that? Well, we saw it in the magazine look good. We don't have anything like that, so we, we translated it. Wow, is anybody using it? Well, no, not really. <laughs> you know, I, his son, I think, bought a few copies for, you know, starting a group in his college or something, but that was about it. And we took it as a sign. You know, God has done the first step for us. I mean, we're over the first hurdle. Let's, let's, let's go get these pastors. So, Debbie, we, here, take this stuff, take it back to Romania, pass it out. Um, don't tell them that there's some crazy church in Southern California that'll fly them over to, you know, see Disneyland and <laughs> you know, and and be try but just see if they see what they think well 13 pastors said yeah this is good I want to how, how can I get a hold of this stuff how do we how do we use this thing so then she tells them and we we bring them over to the United States and we call Dr. Greg and say come down and help us teach these 13 guys we want to show them how to use this stuff we brought them into our church they slept in our beds they ate our food we we brought them into our families Loved on them like crazy. Took them all to the suit shop and bought them all new suits. Uh, I mean, we just we just poured love on them, and then showed them how to use this, and sent them back to Romania. And it wasn't a year and a half later. We're getting a phone call. Say, hey, we're ready. You got to come help us teach this. We got pastors all over the place. We want to learn how to do this. So we took thirteen of our people, <clears throat> and I just said, who wants to go? And you know, thirteen hands went up, and I took whoever wanted to go. We, I didn't select them which is crazy. I should have, you know, I should have gotten my elders or something, you know, but I didn't. I got just XYZ, you know, disciple out there who said, I want to go. Um, and they did. And they went and they, here, here's a guy that never said anything and wouldn't say anything in church. I mean, he's just that kind of, he's, he's a guy with the gift of helps. Uh, he doesn't talk, but he was on our team. Uh, and when it came time to say something about your group, I'd say, okay, uh, Richard, tell them, tell them about your group. And Richard would stand up and he would just, you know, fumble over his words. But that was authentic. That was real. You know, it's one thing for the professor. It's one thing for the pastor to say it. But when you have just regular folks saying it, uh, boy, they buy it. They, they get it. They see it. And the pastors over there are like, some of the pastors here, but who try to do everything themselves. Over there, it's really, really part of their culture. The pastor does everything. You know, people don't do anything. They just come and sit and watch, and they, the pastor does it all. Uh, they've never thought of letting anybody else do anything. And when we, we first start talking to them about having your people lead groups, that was just foreign. That was just totally, you know. And then we brought up Jane Bacon, who's... At that point, I think she was 88 or 89, you know, and she's white hair, about four foot nothing, and she stands up and I can do this, you can do this, you know, and she, I mean, she was in her first discipleship in her life, and you know, and she's just so excited about leading her group and, and watching it multiply, and she's telling these pastors how to do discipleship, and they're watching and thinking, wow, you know, could our people do that? And they went back and tried it, and they did. Uh, and it, we and uh, Dr. Greg was just telling before we started this morning. We we just got back from Romania and have installed a leadership team for the country. We've installed a national director, who's a uh, seminary professor and a church pa pastor for years and years and years since communism. He's he's been pastoring a great church over there and. Uh, he's the national director now. Going to be transitioning, and but they, they've got they've got the whole country scoped out. How they're going to plant and get discipleship going, and in churches all over the country. Um, 
We, I remember the day when Daryl Lundberg walked out of his office. I met him in the hallway of the church, and he said, I feel so global. <laughs> I feel so global, you know, and we had no intention. We had no idea that this thing would go global. I mean, that wasn't a part of it. We were going to start discipleship groups. We didn't realize when Jesus said go into all the world and make disciples, he had a plan uh, for this happening. Uh, it was a plan we didn't really, you know, intentionally buy, you know, jump on board. It just happened. And suddenly we were, we, were at, we were on the plane coming back from Romania, and one of my guys said, what do we do next? You know, we've just gone to Romania, we've seen this thing, what, what do we do next? And we thought, well, you know, our church supports missionaries all over the world. We got lots of missionaries. I bet we could call them up and find other pastors. They could bring pastors. Let's have a global discipleship summit. And we'll get Dr. Greg to come in. We'll see who comes. Again, we didn't advertise. We didn't put it in any magazines. All we did was say to our people in Southern California, like, well, maybe in Nashville, but maybe you're, wherever you're from, Denver, or whatever, you know. Uh, we're very multicultural in Southern California. I mean, we had a Great Commission Sunday in our church. And we had 21 different languages spoken from our stage by people of our congregation reading scripture in their native tongue. <laughs> I mean, it was incredible. It was fun. We had them all sing Amazing Grace in their own language simultaneously. That was really fun, too. Uh, but so I said to the congregation, I said, hey, um, we want to have this global summit. Uh, you know people back in Czechoslovakia or you know, Malaysia or wherever you're from. You know people. Uh, do you know any pastors, any missionaries, some people who would who would benefit from this discipleship stuff that we're doing here? And uh, if you do, give us their name. We'll invite them to come over, and we'll uh, try to raise the money and, and uh, teach them how to use this stuff. Uh, they did. They gave us all kinds of names. I think we sent out about 85 invitations, and 53 came uh, from various countries that we were able to get visas and stuff like that. And some of them couldn't come, but um, <clears throat> 53 came. And we had our first global summit where we had people from all over the place. And again, they slept in our beds. They ate our food. They, you know, we loved on them like crazy. We taught them how to use this material and, um, and sent them back to their countries. Um, the first summit that we did with the 13 from Romania, I went in front of the congregation. I said, this is, this is unbudgeted. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't know this was going to happen. Uh, we need about $45,000 to do this thing, get all these plane tickets and, you know, do it. And uh, within two weeks, we had $45,000. And I, I thought, that's because these people know what this is about. They're doing it. It's, they've experienced it, so they're willing to pay. The second one, we said it's going to cost about $85,000. It didn't. It cost one hundred and twelve. dollars <laughs> And they, they, every penny, I mean, they, they uh, over and above the budget. Uh, we we got so excited we paid off our building that year too. <laughs> but uh, it, I mean, we never we'd never seen the generosity that we saw from people who were dis themselves experiencing this discipleship and helping others experience it as they're being there to teach it. Uh, we just saw all kinds of things. Now, um, let me ask you a question. Uh, of the things that that I've said this morning. Uh, what of those things just jumps out to you? Well, I want you to get in groups of four. We love to do this because it practices quad. <laughs> uh, get into a group of four people and just discuss that among yourselves. Of, this, of what you heard this morning, what kind of jumps out to you? Just whatever it is, 
uh, share it among yourselves, okay? We'll give you about 10 minutes, jump in a group of four, and talk. Okay, if you can get your chairs switched, switched around. I'll collect some information from you, find out what you learned in your groups, get you to share with one another a little bit. Want to make sure everybody gets a, one of our pins. Bud, you got one of Rob, you got one of our pins? Good man, hold your light up. If you didn't get one of our pins, hold your hand up and Chad's going to bring you one. Chad, bring him a pin. If you didn't get one of our pins, let Chad bring you one, okay? Raise your hand, Chad will bring you one of our pins. This has got our, our, our address on there, our website, so you can go to our website and check out all the stuff that's available. Uh, get the ones with the little lights on so they can see how they Nobody's taking Get the ones with the little lights on. Okay. Let your lights shine. Okay. Jeff, what'd you get in your group? What'd you guys discuss? Well, we got a. We're all new to this. Okay. He's a. Been doing it for three years in their church for ten years. It was great oh, wow. to hear a, a a firm believer in it. So get his. So Rick, you guys have been doing it for how long at your church? Probably about ten years. About ten years. Cool. Cool. And what your, what's your role there, Rick? So I'm just a guy who goes to church there. And that's, so okay. I'm now leading one of the discipleship groups. You're leading So I've been through it. Uh, as I told them about halfway through, they start encouraging us that, you know, the point of this is is to reproduce. Yep. So right. there's a lot of coaching and encouragement because it's not comfortable for a lot of guys. Sure. And, and folks, so. Some people don't want to sign that covenant because that, that number five. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. So, so the pastor is real wise awesome. to coach people along. And so it's re right. reproduced probably, I don't know, five or six times by now. And it's got to be quite a few folks. That's awesome. That's awesome, right? Yeah, one of the cool stories that I'll share with you, you were saying how your your preaching wasn't, you know, having the impact. Right. Um, a couple of the guys in my group, we have just spent uh, quite a bit of time on the um, creation yes. chapter. Mm -hmm. Really understanding who we are in Christ, how we're the jewel of God's creation, all that kind of stuff. Right. Then they went back to a different church. They don't go to my church. Uh -huh. um, so they went back to their church, and the pastor was preaching on uh, Genesis. Yeah. And they said how excited they got about the sermon. Say, I know this. I can relate to this. <laughs> so, so it's not like it's separate or takes away from the preaching ministry. It no, actually no, it enhances it. Yeah. Right. 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 That's cool. That's cool, Rick. What church is that, Rick? Chesterfield Presbyterian, St. Louis. Do you write that down? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, please do. Right. They're using it for about 10 years now, so we want to follow up with this. Yeah, we're just a little commercial there. We are, we're looking for partner churches. And what we call model churches uh, that we can work with that can become teaching churches, places where that like Camarillo are yeah. teaching others. Yeah. Uh, you know, how do you get a movement going? Yeah. You know, so that's it's that's it's kind of happened, and we're doing that. Some of the guys that are have taken it and taken it back to their churches and trying to get it going over there. Yeah. 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 And so. and it just becomes a natural thing for your church that you're doing it, and people start coming and say, "What are you guys doing?" And so, mm -hmm. Yeah, so we'd love to contact your pastor and talk with him about that and see if we can assist him in some way. Yeah. I'm part of that group. Oh, but okay. I'm one of the guys that broke off and took it to my church. Oh, perfect. This is this is a Presbyterian group uh -huh. that 
that I joined, and, and now I'm taking that uh, Greg's book over to the Catholic Church. And uh, wow, that's great. I was surprised they let me do that. Yes, it was one of those things. You know, when I prayed to God, I said, you know, if you if you want this to happen, open the doors, and He did. Boy, wow, wow. Uh, so we've got it started over there. That was one of the reasons why I'm in here is because. You know, we're at that stage where we're going to have to expand over there, yes. and we we didn't want to put it, uh, it in the bulletin because we were afraid <laughs> that we'd get like fifteen or twenty oh, people, sure, sure, and we didn't have enough enough people to you know be able to start one of the schools. Keep it organic. Yeah. Make it invitational. Yeah. Keep it. Don't organic. turn it into a program and advertise it in the bulletin. Right. Well. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's what we were trying to do. Yeah. So, so far, yeah. it's been working that way. Well, what, what happens, you know, and, and that's... Thank you. i got to get behind the microphone. <laughs> uh, what happens is, in, in many situations, pastors just... We're, we are programmed to program. And so, you just... If it works, let's get everybody in it. And every pastor I know, when you talk to them about this, the first thing they want to do is get the whole church together and break them all into groups of four and let's all do this at once. And it just does not work that way. Jesus did not do it that way. And and I... I, I thought that was what the feeding of 5,000 was about. Yeah. <laughs> Put them in little groups and we'll feed them. You can give them fish and chips, but you can't give them the, you can't give them the real stuff. Um, and, and it... I, I wrestled with that many, many hours trying to figure out why does it go so slow? God, did why did you make it go? I don't know, but he does. And I think it destroyed my pride as a pastor because you want to do big things and you want to do, and it just doesn't allow for that. It doesn't allow for that. And not only that, I can't get the credit because Rick's running the group now, you know, and then Bud's got a group over here, and it's in, it's there. Uh, it's not me. It's not about me. Yeah, and it's not about me either. It's the Holy Spirit is doing it. You begin to realize that. You begin to realize that, and this thing has a life of its own, and it's supposed to. That's the way it's supposed to be, and you just have to let it go that way. But it's it it runs counter, you know, to everything we've been doing. It's, you are, what's your name? Uh, my name's Greg. Greg. Your first name is Andy? No, Greg. Greg, okay. Greg, thank you. Thank you for that name. Greg. Uh, Greg, we got it. So <laughs> I can remember this one. Great name. So, my question, I understand, you know, you can't just program right. and such. However, is there a balance where um, you have some groups going, now people are asking, well, what, I want to take the next step. I guess, is there a way to marry those those two organic yeah. uh, you, you, you many times have to put them on hold and just say wait I've got I've got lots of people in where I am now I, I went up to Washington State uh, I, when I retired two years ago and my son-in-law is at, on staff at this 2500 member church I went to the senior pastor said what we were doing and what I've been doing and said can I do it here and he said yeah but I, I want to be in your first group he got into the first group, which, of course, puts a stamp of approval on it, you know, because now, okay, anybody. So the group started, the word starts getting out, and people start, I want to be in a group, I want to be in a group. And, and I, you know, I've, we've got, my wife has two women's groups, and that's it, you know, on the women's side. And I'm, you know, and I've got four groups going. I actually just started my fifth group, but uh, they're not, they've, only two of them have completed and are ready to multiply. So it's, it's just go slow. And you just have to let it 
let it go slow. There was so much for us to learn, Greg, in, in when we were starting this thing. If we had pushed it as fast as I wanted to go, I would have, I would have, I would have messed it up. I would, have, I would have messed it up before we got it going. My staff had to keep saying, slow down, Ralph, slow down, Ralph, slow down, because I wanted to so bad. It was good, and I could see it, and I wanted it for everybody in the congregation. And they just said, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. And, I, and for, for whatever reason, we're, I was smart enough to let them <laughs> not to do it. But as you have that pent-up desire and people expressing their interest, I think you can create a waiting list and have it available. And, and so as people are getting ready to reproduce, because one of the obstacles sometimes for, for, for guys and gals uh, is who do I invite? You know, so I'm getting ready to reproduce, but I don't, I have maybe one person, but do you have a you know, pastor, do you have any suggestions for me? And then you have these kind of ready suggestions. You may still make them do the invitation. Uh, and so it's by invitation that you're, call, you know, Jesus invited called his disciples to him, so that's the model that we're trying to follow. So. And, and in, the, in the book, in the material, Greg tells you how to do that. This first 14 pages uh, of the book gives you all the information of how these things go and even gives you the words to say to invite somebody into your group. I'm going to be on a spiritual journey and I want to invite you, know, and it gives you the words to say. But uh, That's the Transforming Discipleship book you're referring to? No, that's actually in the first 14 pages of the workbook. Discipleship yeah, but and when chapter I, six of transforming discipleship goes into that too, the invitation. So. It does have it in there. Yeah. Uh, when I'm starting a group, I grab I grab one of the books and I give it to a person. I said, read the first 14 pages uh, and tell me if you want to be a part. Mm-hmm. And then I get back to them within a week and I and, and I have I have lunch with them or something. And I say, what do you think? And we'll go through it. We'll go over it. I make sure they understand everything before we you know make the commitment. But uh, that's the way I go about it. What's your invitation look like? I, you know, totally like a newer believer, a younger believer, somebody hasn't been through right. any disciple. What does your invitation look like for somebody who's maybe been through navigators, crusades, discipleship yeah. programs, yeah. or even taught others to kind of get them to buy in and become? Does your invitation look different? With yes, those absolutely, kind of folks? Jeff. Great, so, how? great question, Jeff. It does, and you you have to tailor your invitation to the people. Mm-hmm. If you say the wrong invitation, they won't. Yeah. They'll miss it. For somebody like that, who's who's I targeted mostly um, mature right. believers. I wanted mature believers, and I'm telling them, I want you to help me do this. We're going we're starting a movement in our church of discipleship, and I I need your help. And, and I'm teach, I want to teach you how to do this so that you can help, help us do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the way. We had one gal that got invited into a group. She says, I've been there, done that. I want to be a part of that. I, I, I know all this. And she quit. And we had to go back to her and say, wait, 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 wait. You, you didn't understand. Yeah. You know, we're, we want you to learn how to do this so you can help us do it. And she got back in a group. She's on our board now. That's Claudia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She quit her first group. Um, but you know, so yeah, yeah you have to tailor that invitation. And if it's a brand new believer, it can be daunting. It, it's it's too much for them almost. And in fact, Greg says I, I write my books in reverse order. He's now written another book that's sort of an on ramp to this. <laughs> it's it's the beginner book. So you, you can it's the little book. <laughs> we call it the little book. Yeah. And it's eight chapters instead of twenty five. And it's you know not quite so demanding. And so you can get them started with that and lead them up to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Question. Uh, actually, comment related to what he was talking about there and about ramping up more quickly. Yes. One of the things I've been learning a lot about the last couple of years is 
the discovery groups. Mm -hmm. One of the places I, one of the resources on that is Steve Addison's Pioneering Movements. And he talks about the Lighthouse megachurch in South Africa, mm -hmm. in which, in a way, they brought the whole congregation in at one time, but they also started slowly. In other words, they told the congregation what they were doing, gave people an opportunity to take the training to lead a group, but they knew that a lot of people wouldn't do it. Yeah, and there, and there are some ways, and, and we're not trying, we, we don't try to say there's only one way to do it. If you find something and God's leading you in a different, go with God, you know, <laughs> you know we're not going to, we, we certainly don't want to push against that, but uh, there are, I'm sharing with you what happened in, in Camarillo and how it worked for us. But uh, Just to mention, uh, in Greg's book, uh, we've had guys that, you know, they look at that commitment thing and, and they go, I don't know if I can sign this. And, and we say, well, stick with it through a couple of chapters. Okay. And, and once they get going, uh, and, and by the way, there is a section about in the middle of the book somewhere where you're given an opportunity to go back and review Reso that. Yeah, review that commitment. Yeah. And at that time, they usually sign it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've had people, we had one gal says, I, I signed it, but I knew I'd never do it. <laughs> you know, she was, but she was, she was the one who had two groups going before the thing was over. She just, you know, it just, but they think they can't. And then they did get in there and it really, it's, it's something God is doing. And God just kind of takes over the thing and you watch it happen and you realize, you know, uh, I can do this. I can sit and I can, get, I can find three people who'll sit, sit down with me for coffee. You know, that's easy enough. So, yeah. Question, are, you, are your groups synchronized or are they? No. Individually, you, yeah, people are starting and stopping and finishing. Oh, yeah. And yeah. once, once you know, after the first year, we were total, we lost, total, we lost control. <laughs> you know, they just, they were on their own schedules, and that's the way it needs to be because you get to your group and and raise, you know, wife yelled at him this morning, and he's in, he's in shambles, and we've got to stop and talk about a marriage thing here, or you know, Rick over there's his jobs, you know, if something's happening there, or your kids, so we. Many times we just put the stuff aside and we'd be praying for Rick or we'd right. be praying for Jeff or we'd yeah. be praying for Bud and, and working through some stuff and helping each other yeah. because it's about applying this to life and being there to walk alongside each other and help God do what he's going to do in each other's lives. Mm -hmm. And many times it's in the book and many times it's not in the book, you know, yeah. kind of thing, and that's okay. Uh, but we find that the guys are going on vacation together, they're going out to eat together, they're going to sporting events together, they're taking their families, and all, all of a sudden you've got, they've got some kind of a, something's happening there that's binding them together. Uh, closest yeah. friends they've ever had yeah. are, are their quad. Yeah, yeah I, I appreciate that. In um, our implementation, um, we do it, uh, all the groups come together. Yep. On a certain morning of the week. Okay. And so it feels like you're a part of something bigger. Okay. Yep. Yep. So there's some benefit to that, but yep. but one of the things where it lacks a little bit is the life on life kind of stuff that you're talking about mm -hmm. because it can start to feel a little bit more like a program. Yep. Um, and a class or something like yeah. that. Yep. But there is a benefit of feeling like you're a part of something. We found yeah, we found out after you know, after the group started to grow that we began to have leader meetings. Yeah. Yeah, in our new place now. We I've been there almost two years now and we're having our second, you know, quad leader meeting. Mm -hmm. 
you know, where we get all the leaders together and we just we just have lunch together and talk about it and share. But we would we began to have our, our leadership teams, I mean, the leadership group got bigger and bigger, and we, we brought in Bill Hall. <laughs> you know, we brought we started bringing in discipleship yeah. gurus from places just to kind of inspire the troops. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so you find you find out, and that's one of the reasons we, we make ourselves available to walk alongside because a lot of these things you won't, you won't be in, you won't know this until you get there, and then you're all saying, what's, how do I handle this? And, yeah. and so we can share with you more things that we, we don't need to share now because you wouldn't remember them anyway. So, mm-hmm. Okay, are you guys in the back? What did you guys discuss in your group? And it's a good tension sometimes. Like some people feel like, how do I get you know, not included? Or yeah. Something like that. But so they're waiting to be in, you know, to be asked. And yeah. Good, good. Yes. So one of the things I'm hearing is reminding me of something I learned about parallel cultures. Okay. Um, when you're trying to do a cultural change to say, hey, church, you need to do this. Uh-huh. It falls flat on its face. Yes. But if you take a small group of people and it works... And then those folks, so you've got everything normal going on over here, you, then you got this other thing going the opposite direction, and it's it's working. And then people over here are like, ooh, I like that. They'll jump onto it, whereas before if you said, hey, you got to do this, they don't like it. Right, right. So sometimes it helps to do it that way. Yeah. But um, <laughs> what we talked about, the question I had for you is that, you said you wanted to do it in Romania. You want to translate. So you contacted, and it was already done, but it was underutilized. Uh, it's kind of like God was opening a door there. Yes. Are, are there other languages that this has been translated into that have, there's a similar story there? There's a similar story. And uh, I don't know whether there's similar stories, but I know that right now uh, it's in about 14 languages, and we are, we are discovering places. Last night we were talking to a young man from India, and we don't have it in any of the Indian dialects right now. Uh, we've got people working on it and wanting it there, uh, talking to another guy in, from Russia. And we don't have it in Russian yet. Uh, we've got it in Portuguese. We just got a group come back from Mozambique. You know, uh, I think the Portuguese story actually is more parallel to that. Okay, tell us that one. one. Well, I, I think it actually was translated into Brazilian Portuguese initially. And I guess that's somewhat different than... Portugal Portuguese and Mozambique Portuguese, but uh, mm-hmm. enough enough similar. But I don't think it was used a whole lot. And then we had a, a Portuguese pastor professor come to our Global Discipleship Summit in 2015, and he's kind of resurrected uh, that. So it, it's, uh, and then as Ralph just said, we just had a team that went to Mozambique, just got back, and we're teaching there for a week. So the material was available, but it wasn't being used a whole lot, and now it's kind of being resurrected uh, again as well. So those kinds of things, we're just watching happen. And people are translating it. They don't even ask us. They just start, you know. <laughs> some of them go back and do it, you know, go through the channels. But some people just start translating it and, and start using it. And we find out later that they've started a translation in some language. And so we try to come alongside and help. Um, as much as we can, we, we want to get it out there and get it translated. Other thoughts before we go on? Yes. Uh, 
just to tell you, kind of give you an update on, on this, this group that, that we have in St. Louis. Yeah. The one that started with four guys in this restaurant. It, it got so big that we filled the restaurant three days a week now uh, in the morning before it opens up. And in the 10 years, uh, we sort of have graduated over 120 disciples out of there. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, our, we it was Denny's in in Southern California where we had our <laughs> breakfasts. Well, benefits that that we hoped for and benefits that were unexpected. I'm just go through some of these with you. Um, <clears throat> there's some of them that we expected. You know, we expected to be transformed. We we expected that God was going to do this work in us, um, making us into new people. Um, and we were glad to see it happen, happening. We expected multiplication. Um, you've heard these things from me. Uh, you know, Paul says to Timothy, uh, that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses, now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. I mean, it was obvious this was Paul's intention you know, for the, the work that he had done in Timothy's life. He wanted Timothy to pass it on. Uh, this was in the uh, Second Timothy, probably the last book that Paul wrote. So it's at the end of his ministry, and he's looking back and saying, "Okay, how's this stuff going to go? Get keep, you know, being uh, multiplied out there?" And he's making this clear to Timothy. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be passing it on. Now, on your <clears throat> handout there, you have this uh, chart, and I think you probably already recognize it. You may have seen it before, but. Uh, if not, I'll uh, quickly explain it to you. Uh, the idea is if you were, a, uh, you were a flaming evangelist and you could lead somebody to Christ every day, uh, at the end of a year you'd have 365 converts, right? Uh, if you were a discipler and you just took one guy and you discipled him all year long, took you a whole year and you just poured into the one guy, at the end of the year you'd have two of you. Uh, at the end of the second year, the evangelist has 730 converts, but you have four. You know, just four of you disciples now. At the end of three years, there'd be 1,095 uh, uh, converts for the evangelists and just 16 disciples over here. But you get down to about uh, uh, year uh, 13, 12, 12, uh, year 12 in here, he's got 4,300 converts, but now there are 4,000 disciples because this multiplication thing begins to pick up speed. And by the time you get down here to year 16, you got 5,840 converts, but you got 65,000 disciples down there. Now, this is what we call the miracle of multiplication. You run the numbers, and it's amazing how fast this thing goes. You know, I'm in this new church that I'm in up in Washington right now, and the administrative pastor is in one of my quads, and he has just started his quad, and he's running the numbers. He's a numbers guy. And he's thinking, okay, what's this going to be like in four years? What's it going to be like in five years? He's realizing where this thing is going, and he's really excited about this. Um, it, it goes slow, and it seems so slow. But if you let it go and you just make sure it's being done right, uh, this thing just continues to multiply. You'll hit rough spots. We called one the multiplication riddle. The multiplication riddle. That was when we realized that all of a sudden our reproduction was going down. You know, as the thing began to you know get larger, the, the percentages were going down. And we spent a whole year trying to solve the reproduction riddle. I got the whole staff. This was one of our major objectives that year. Okay, what do we do about this? We brought our reproduction back up by some simple things that you can do. We've, we discovered some answers. Um, <clears throat> there, that's... But when I look at this thing, I think, you know, this is what Jesus knew would happen with those 12 guys. 
He spent three and a half years with 12 guys, and I, and I know any serious student of Scripture is going to ask why. <laughs> Somewhere along the line. You know, if I had 5,000 people coming to hear me preach, first I'd take an offering. Then I'd start, <laughs> then I'd start a building program, you know. I mean, you'd say, hey, you know, guys, let's get, let's get out the hammers and nails. Let's, let's have a building I wouldn't turn around and get in the boat and sail away with 12 guys. And he did that over and over and over in the New Testament. He turns away from the crowd and goes with the, with the 12. Why did he do that? He knew something that we've forgotten. Yeah. And we get so crowd infatuated in this country. It's, we're, we're the worst, I think. Uh, we get so enamored with the crowds. And we have to, and it's because of this cultural tra trap that imprisoned pastors. Here he is over here. Here's the young pastor. He's just getting started. He's going to, so he needs a place to meet. So he finds a place that he can rent, you know, to, to, to have his congregation meet. And of course, that's going to cost some money. And, and then he's, then he's got to get a crowd there because they've got to be able to pay for the thing and got to pay his salary as well. And then they've got to keep the crowd. So you start programs like the youth program and the children's program and all the different programs. And that's going to cost more money. And then you got to get some staff to run those because he can't run them all. So that's going to cost more money. And all of a sudden, it's driven by money. This whole thing is driven by money, and you can't change because you've got to keep this thing going. And I've got to keep preaching every Sunday, and I've got to do these fantastic messages that entertain everybody from 9 to 90, you know. And I, so i got to, I mean, this is no small challenge in itself just to be the show every Sunday morning. i got to get great music because they're going to come from, they're looking for more than just my preaching. they got to have the great, they got to have the children's programs, they got to have Awana, they got to have everything else. Uh, and we get this great thing going, this organization, and I'm trapped. Do I have time to do discipleship? Not likely. You know, it's way down on my... In fact, I went to a church planting seminar, and they're saying, here are all the things you got to do, and you got to get your staff, and you got to get your building, you get all this money up front so you can keep this thing alive at least for a year so that you can, you know, make this thing get off. You know, and they have it all figured out. And here down on the bullet points, way down at the bottom, is discipleship. Yeah. It's a bullet point. And I, I sat in that meeting and I got so frustrated. Uh, I got so frustrated because I wanted to, I wanted to let them know that's not the, a bullet point. That's the target. Yeah. That's the whole target. It's the right. disciple making. And we've made it a bullet point. Yeah. That's really hard from a church leadership perspective. But the other thing that's really sad about that is what that creates is a bunch of spiritual infants. Yes. That feeds the yeah. whole consumerism. Yes concept of exactly you know, if we don't like your show we'll go watch we'll go to the next show, show. Right. Yeah. that's what it is it, and it's really sad we've created a culture of that in our churches and so we when we say why are all this church hopping why is everybody you know that's because we've created a culture of consumerism mm -hmm. you know they're coming from what, what they can get and, and they're there to consume as opposed to be a part of the life aspect of being a part of the church yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Uh, and if you, you want to say it even in more vulgar terms, t terms, follow the money. Follow the money. Who you pay the most? Well, you pay the senior pastor the most because he's the show, right? And then, then you start putting more money into the Sunday program because according to Bill Hybels, and I love Bill Hybels, and, I, you know, and I'm so appreciative of Bill for so many things, but he said you know, that hour on Sunday morning is the most important hour of the week. I remember standing in front of my congregation after we'd been doing this about three years, and I said, if you have a choice as to whether to go to your quad or come to hear me preach, go to your quad. Wow. Good go you. to your quad. 
I mean, that shocked me. <laughs> you know, that shocked me. Yeah, go to your quad because they will get more out of that quad because they're interacting on the material and their internal than they'll ever get from hearing me on Sunday morning speak. You know, go to your quad. Yeah, that's the, you know, and I, I'm that's where I am, and and that's not where most most pastors I know are. I mean, that's going to be hard to swallow. How's that impacted you financially in your church? Uh, uh, as a result of that, it I'm going to I'm in. Let me go on. <laughs> oh, this is my this is my latest quad. Uh, the guy on the right, Johnny Poole, he's FCA director in in Whatcom County. The guy next to him is uh, one of the co-owners of Express Electric. We meet in his office. The guy next to him is nobody from Tennessee? Is that Jake? That's Jake. That's starting quarterback for Tennessee Titans a couple years ago. Oh, nice. Uh, he's now in my quad up there because that's where he's from, and so he's in my quad. Uh, but, you know, th this, uh, that group is, is multiplying, and, and Jake's already got his first quad going. Uh, but... <clears throat> Discussion quads, we should mention. I said we did that. I, said, I'm, I went the wrong direction here. Uh, no, there's another one, Dan. There's another one, Dan. You just haven't got through the benefits yet. I thought I had more benefits up there. Where are they? I'm going backwards. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, here we go. Benefits, hope for. Well, they're only, they are on the handout. There you go. Okay, where? <laughs> I'm confused, but anyway, okay, go on the handout, yeah. Multiplication, we saw that happening. Harmony and unity. Uh, this was an unexpected serendipity. You, I did not expect the whole church, because we're on the same page, to be, I, I just didn't see it coming. But we had more harmony and unity, because once we got half or more of the church involved in these things, everybody's talking quads, everybody's talking memorizing their verse, everybody's talking the same topic, and there was just a, a harmony and unity that came to the church that I had never seen before. Um, evangelism. You know, people ask this question, what happens to your evangelists? They were our best evangelists. People whose lives are being changed by the Holy Spirit on a weekly basis are got something to talk about. They're excited about sharing with guys at work. You know, and when somebody at work comes up and says, i got a problem and my family got this, well, you don't, wouldn't believe what we were talking about in our quad last night. This, you know, they, they talk about it regularly because it's impacting their lives and it's changing them. So they became our best evangelists. Generosity, what happened to our giving? Um, giving went up. These became our tither. I mean, we got a chapter at the end on tithing. I mean, it's on. The, it's uh, the. Uh, it's there. Uh, guys in my first group, my my second group, one of the guys he'd never tithed before, and he he reads that chapter, and all of a sudden he he starts tithing. Um, so uh, generosity, and it was not just the the challenge for tithing. It was the hearts were changing. The hearts were changing, and they were becoming generous people. Uh, and when we talked about that, that's why when we talked about bringing these pastors over from Romania and said, hey, we're going to need extra money to do this. If you can be a part of this, uh, but you drop a check in the offering plate, and the money was there. Uh, joy, um, again, because the life changed, because of what they were seeing happen. Uh, the joy, confidence, leaders. Um, you have a you have a you have a volunteer problem in your church. It's a discipleship problem. Mm -hmm. It's a discipleship problem. Yeah. That's a, that's what it is. You get the discipleship going. All of a sudden, we had our annual retreat, staff retreat, 
one of the things that we do at our annual staff retreat in January is to assess the previous year and then project into the next year. And we do that, we did that every year back there. Um, I had the staff looking back and, I, and we we're talking about, okay, who are your, you know, who are your volunteers and who are going to be, the, you know, who's your leadership for next year? All of our leadership was coming out of our quads. You know, they were the people who were volunteering for more stuff. The guy that you went to and you said, hey, can you, uh, I want you to be in my group. He says, I don't know if I have time. I've got my business and family and i got this. And he didn't have time to do a, one group. Now he's leading two groups and he's volunteering for more stuff. You know, I mean, where did that come from? Uh, heart change. Heart change. Um, global vision. Uh, I told you already how that just caught us by surprise. We didn't expect that to happen, but it did. People from uh, Portugal, you know, the gal who came from, was in our church from Portugal, she's concerned about her family and people back in Portugal. The gal from Malaysia, uh, she's going on vacation. So Jim, you know, our small group pastor gets her aside and says, make this a vacation with a purpose. We're having this global summit. Why don't you go there and challenge some, some of the people that you see while you're in Malaysia, see if you can get somebody who's interested in coming to the summit. She goes back there. She speaks in a seminary. This is a gal who has no seminary training, no Bible college. She speaks. I don't know how she got in, but they let her speak about discipleship in the seminary, and she's inviting them to come over to our global summit. Um, this thing just went, it went global. It went global. And we, we didn't intend it. We didn't plan it. Uh, it just did it. Um, authentic growth. Um, the growth that we began to see, um, men are, who are in groups are very anxious for their wives to get involved. The wives who get in groups are very anxious for their husbands to get involved. They begin, uh, they begin trying to get their children involved. <laughs> I was thrilled to death when uh, one of the guys in my first quad goes to my son, adult son, and asks him to be in his quad. And my son is in the quad, you know, kind of thing. Uh, to see this happen, um, it, just because we know authentic growth comes from this. People grow. Um, and our, one of the guys in my first quad big, was on, became an elder within two years. Uh, I mean, leadership just popping up out of these things as people are gaining confidence, learning how to lead, <coughs> learning that God can use them. Uh, and seeing all this happen. Um, we're going to close out with any last questions that you might have before we stop this session. we got some more next week, next hour, but yeah. Jeff? That all sounds amazing. What would you say are the hardest, you know, to kind of be the guy who counts the cost and everything, what are the hardest things in going this direction? There's pushback. And we'll talk about that. You know, uh, what do you do with the late adopters? Mm -hmm. How do you get people who, for whatever reason, just don't seem to get it, and yet they're still in, they're in leadership? Yeah. What do you do with the women's quilting group that meets every month for 24 hours in the church building? And you know, what do you do? Um, one of the things that that I one of the answers that I have to that question is, you know, did you have to change anything? And I'll tell you more about this later, too, but we had to cancel Christmas one year. <laughs> Come back and hear that story. <laughs> <laughs> we had to cancel Christmas. It was, it was traumatic. It was traumatic. Because we did these, we did these uh, 
uh, Crystal Cathedral kinds of productions. You know, I mean, we just did we we did the big, you know, and we had to cancel Christmas, so it was, that was pretty traumatic. But. Uh, so one thing that, that I'm, I'm wondering about is, you yeah, know, we, we probably should let people go because okay. they have some trans transition time here. Okay, we, we can we can stay in we can say and do questions, but yeah, thank you for this session, and yeah, we yeah. we'll start over. And what what do we start in an hour? Uh, Thirty minutes? What? No, fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. Session is on curriculum and going through the, the value and importance of curriculum and some of the characteristics of that. So that's what our next session is on. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. That message was from the Global Discipleship Initiative track at the National Disciple Making Forum. Download the free PDF that summarizes exactly how they teach people to do the microgroups that are made up of three or four people. Download it at discipleship.org global. That's discipleship.org global. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.